this is Lily and Mikey. We're back again. Yep. To entertain and enlighten your lives. Because we know we're so enlightening. M- maybe. <laughs> That's questionable. That might be up for debate there. So. Uh... So today we're going to do something that we haven't done before. We're going to do a. Um, Are you sure we've never done it before? We've never done it before. Ooh. We're going to talk about a, a person, a real person, a war hero. A, hero. a person? Yes, a war hero. I love war heroes. Yeah. So I thought it would be kind of nice. You know, I um, I have a lot of respect for people who do difficult jobs. And especially because sometimes they do difficult jobs that aren't things that they would support. But we do difficult jobs anyways. And one of the things special about this story is it happened during Vietnam, which okay. was the most unsupported war. Yeah. It was the you know only war where when people were coming home, they were literally like dumping blood on them sometimes and like spitting at them and calling them like baby killers. Dang hippies. <laughs> you know, they're supposed so to be much for free love, man. <laughs> well, no, the thing that I don't get about it is those people like, not all of them, but a lot of them were drafted. Yeah. And either way, you know, the government was going over there. They were trying to fight communism. And, you know, who people have all kinds of other theories and different things of what, what they think the war was about. But yeah, the, that doesn't have to do with the fact that these men still went out there and fought and risked and lost their lives. And oh, absolutely. Deserve respect. Yeah. Anytime I run into a veteran from uh, Vietnam, I make sure that I let them know how much, you know, we appreciate that they sacrificed for our country. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not you believed in the cause. Yeah. It doesn't change the fact they that were these are young people. men that were taken from their homes and the draft was being instituted. Like uh, our father served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He knew he was going to get drafted for the army. Yeah. And so he actually enlisted. This is a true story. And, uh, Pretty crazy. He was like, "Okay, I, I'm, I'm probably going to get drafted anyway. I may as well choose where I go." Yeah. So he went to the naval uh, recruitment office. Yeah. Got signed up, <laughs> and his mother was freaking out because she didn't know where he was. It's not like they had cell phone then where she could call him. <laughs> yeah. So he was gone, and she saw his draft letter in the mail for the army. Um, but he was already at the naval recruitment office, so he signed up for the navy, mm-hmm. and so they allowed him to continue his service in the navy. And he ended up uh, serving on the nuclear submarines yeah. during Vietnam. And later, he ended up doing um, something in flight. Well, I think that uh, if I if the story is correct, if I'm remembering properly, <laughs> yeah, uh, he kind of started as like a cook or in the kitchen on the on the uh, submarine, and then worked his way up and, and ended up becoming the helmsman, which is the guy who actually steers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the submarine. I, I believe you're right. I'm just saying, like later after he, he left was it, in a nuclear I, submarine. After he left the navy, tracking the Russians. <laughs> after he left the navy, he actually did something with like the air force or whatever for a short time. Oh, did he? Yeah, and I remember hmm. him coming home from one of those and me not recognizing who he was because he changed his facial hair, and he'd brought me some little like. Oh, did he Koala. shave? Did he shave the stash? I think it was that he was. <laughs> and I didn't know who he was. And I remember feeling embarrassed that I didn't know it was my dad when I answered the door. Well, he does. He would look a lot different. <laughs> I remember seeing when I was a kid after he shaved his. He's got like a 
Not like a handlebar stash, but like a really bush full yeah, he mustache. Yeah, he used to call his caterpillar when I was a kid. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would, you know, sometimes I would point it out to him and he'd be like, oh, it's just my caterpillar. <laughs> and he's still sporting it to this day. Yes, he's- Anytime he ever shaved, we were like, weird, grow back. <laughs> he's a stash man. <laughs> it's, it's um, what's it, November or? Oh, when they do no shave November? Yeah, it, it's it's like that for his mustache every all the time but anyway so the person we're talking about actually uh signed up for the military voluntarily and he did it voluntarily or voluntarily (laughs) i'm going to voluntarily (laughs) volunteer exactly potato potato anyway he signed up on purpose before that, because when he was a kid, um, he actually saw in the movie theater, like, paratroopers jumping out of planes and Roosevelt, like, thanking men for fighting against the Japs and all that on the screen, you know, and he wanted to be able to do that. Like, that's what he... Mm. As a child. So it got instilled in him at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. I was kind of obsessed with army and guns and stuff like that when I was a little kid. And uh, in fact, one of my first, I think my first word my mom told me was weapon. (laughs) I don't think that was probably the word. (laughs) She told me, other than like mom or dad, like that's what she generally told me. Weapon was my first word that I started using. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I grew up playing with Army guys and, you know, toy guns, like a lot of mm-hmm. kids in the 80s and, yeah. and early 90s. We definitely 90s. did a lot of G.I. Joes. G.I. Joe, <laughs> real American hero. Go Joe. But, uh, but, yeah, I actually almost joined the military right after 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my dad actually talked me out of it. I was really close to signing up with the Marines. Wow! Can yeah. you imagine me being a Marine? Dude, there was a lot of Marines. I can. I can't even out. hurt a fly, man. I'm and so passive. Stuff. I've known. No, some I. I'm, I mean, I'm yeah. grateful for all the we men that that toured in Iraq and Afghanistan. Stuff. But yeah. uh, I feel like I literally dodged potentially a dodged a bullet there, <laughs> or, or a bomb. But no, no disrespect <laughs> for those that served, but. I'm glad it wasn't because it really, it wouldn't have been a good thing for me knowing myself now. So I'm glad my dad had that foresight. But anyway, back to our yeah, person kind of, of a soft person. I'm a softy. He's a softy boy. Man. I'm, I'm a cuddler. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> yeah. But he can be scary when he gets mad. Like sometimes he can be pretty, you know, he's got five kids. He has to like use that dad voice. Hey, sometimes I can be the papa bear. <laughs> you don't mess with my two little girls. Yeah. I'll mess you up. Exactly. But yeah, in our family, we have like a strong respect for military personnel. Thank you. Salute to all you veterans out there. Thank you for your service. And thank you to all those who are currently serving and the sacrifices that affect your private and and, uh, professional life. You know, the the parts of uh, important things in life that you miss to do your jobs. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's one reason why I picked what I did today. I think you picked nicely. I want to learn more about this gentleman so, from Vietnam who who uh, was intrigued and fascinated <laughs> by being a paratrooper. Yeah. So this is Roy Benavides. And another nice cool thing about him is his parents were immigrants. 
and uh, he, which country? Uh, from like across the border, Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's so he's the first generation yeah, Mexican American. So he was born. Yeah, exactly. Um, he was born in Texas, and he or as they would say, Texas. Yeah, and he lost like both of his parents to tuberculosis. His dad first. Oh then, man! Yeah, I know, right? And then his—that's so sad. How old was he when they died? Do you know, he was little when his dad died, like really little. Oh. Um, and then his mother remarried to a man, and she had a daughter. And the man really loved the daughter. He did not mistreat her two sons because she, he had one brother. Uh-huh. She, he did not mistreat them, but he did not. Wasn't enga- wasn't really yeah, like engaging with didn't them. Have didn't la- didn't show interest. Yeah, he didn't want have interest in being their father. Okay. So there was a lot of attention given to. So the he daughter. was a provider, but not much of a real father figure yeah, to them. He liked his daughter. He didn't really, you know, want to be involved. I guess you could say with them. That's too bad. Yeah, and salute to all you dads out there. Yeah. That father uh, children that aren't or- originally yours. your yeah. own. In fact, I've got a brother who married my sister. Well, he's my brother-in-law. Yeah. But he took on a father situation from my sister who had uh, a baby before marrying him. So Yeah, and we've got a nephew who's doing the same and I had I've had a, you know, a second husband who was there during a large portion of my children's life and took yeah. on that role. So salute to all you dads who do the deal. Yeah. Even if they really, don't come from your really loins. Our dads. You know, cuz a dad and a person who provides life are two different things sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. Family isn't always blood. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, so he grew up in not, you know, he wasn't well off at all. He was under poverty. And he they were doing okay while his mom was married to this guy. Um, they did, you know, back then there was still segregation going on and it wasn't just blacks. Hispanics also got segregated. Sure. And like he talked about how when he went to the movies, you know, like where he saw about the paratroopers, how, um, they used to get coins thrown from rich people or, you know, well-dressed people on, they'd throw them down on the ground and watch the kids chase it. And at first when he was little, it was a game. And then it, he realized that it was degrading. Yeah. It was, and they'd laugh when they'd do yeah. it. And, but he would do it anyway just to, you know, and he realized the price for the movie was his dignity. Oh. And he used to So actually, it took on a whole deeper meaning yeah, for him when he realized. Yeah. And he, he actually would hit other kids and stuff before he'd go for the money to make sure he got money. And oh, wow. sometimes enough to get ice cream even. So he turned into a kind of a scrapper. I'd knock some punk ass <laughs> kid down for some ice cream and a movie. <laughs> yeah, frick yeah, man, get out the way. <laughs> so anyway, he ended up kind of throughout his childhood having an issue with kind of being a hothead and a scrapper. Okay, so he had a little bit of a temper. Yeah, and little chip on his shoulder. You know, he also like kind of got to the in a little bit of trouble when he was a teenager. You know, he got even arrested before. You know, he'd he'd just start to fight with people. And there was finally a time when he beat someone up 
And afterwards, he realized that he didn't need to do that and that it was a loss of his temper. Like, I think, I believe the guy beat him in a wrestling match or something and was like, maybe not so great about it or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, he beat the guy up and then, um, he had someone he respected point out that it wasn't, you know, something that God would, a godly thing to do or a kind thing to do or even a something honorable to do. You know, there was no reason that he should do that. And he, it, it actually kindly, finally set in for him and he okay. stopped. But like uh, his mom ended up dying of tuberculosis as well. And um, he ended up, him and his brother were orphaned, and she, before she died, she sent a letter to her late husband, so their biological father's brother, and said that the boys were going to be orphans. And he went and got them with his family, and there were like seven of them, and they just pulled these boys in. And as what they would do is they'd go out and like work fields or whatever for money, and then they'd go to school some during you know, school years, but they worked alongside their family. Uh-huh. And his, um, like, his uncle was a really good person. And he always was, like, talking about the pride of the Benavides name and how honor is important and yeah. the pride that they should have in being um, Americans, you know, Hispanic Americans. Um, and... Actually, and Mexicans should be proud, man. It's yeah. one of the most beautiful countries on the planet. Yeah. I love Mexico. I love the culture there. Incredible country. Well, yeah. And I I mean, people come from all over the place. And I feel like be, based on where your ancestors came from, you shouldn't get treated less. You know? Right. Absolutely. I mean. Ultimately, all Americans at one point are immigrants. immigrants. Yeah. Except for, of course, the Native Americans that were here first. Yeah, and all I have to say to them is I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I can't undo what happened. And I definitely don't even know where I would send what part of me if I had to go back to where I came from. Right. Because most of us are mutts. Like Irish, Danish, French, English. English we're just Scottish. a big, we're a big European <laughs> fruit salad, you know, just a lot of pillaging going on. I know we've talked about this before in some other episodes, yeah. but we are very Caucasian, but yes. <laughs> ca-European. <laughs> we're definitely white. White. <laughs> But anyway, you know, I feel like pigment, you know, is not a an issue to, to be a human. I no, we're like. all we're all creatures of of God, in my opinion, and we're all brothers and sisters. So, we, so you know, there's some cultural differences that happen and stuff, but we all are freaking human, and we all have the same needs and wants, and like freaking, we're all wired human when we're born. Beautiful thing about the United States, man. <laughs> Life, for the aliens life liberty, and the pursuit of <laughs> happiness, right? We all have that, uh, an yeah. inalienable right. Yeah, because, I mean, like, now that they're saying that there are UFOs, I'm just saying a little holler out to any extraterrestrials here. <laughs> no, but really, like, um, I, I love that his uncle always taught them to be respectable people, and he actually yeah. ended up, even becoming the first, um, his uncle ended up becoming the first uh, 
police officer that was Hispanic who and they wanted they offered him the job because he was such a good man. Wow. And he said that he would only take the job if he because they at first were telling him he could only arrest Hispanic people. And he said, I won't take the job unless I can arrest. Yeah, anybody. I need to be a, a cop. Yeah. Like any other cop. They agreed to that because he, he was such a fair man and the fact that he knew Spanish was helpful. And um, so, yeah, he ended up have, being able to have that pride cool. of, of being that in that And area. this is the gentleman we're talking about's uncle? Um, yeah, he was, uh, let's see, his uncle is um, let's see. Scrolling. Sorry, I can't Scrolling. Um, he deserves to be acknowledged, though. It just, like, I pulled it up in Wiki, but I listened to a whole book on him. Oh, wow. And So he was quite the individual himself. Yeah. So they're actually, his family were the descendants of the founders of Benavides, Texas, which I didn't know there was a Benavides, Texas. So wow. there was a lot of pride there. Cool. Um. So it doesn't, why is it not, I think that's kind of dumb that it doesn't bring up um, what his, it just says his uncle. Okay. So, well, that's all right. Yeah. The main and his grandfather. His grandfather was also a really good man, but he learned to work hard. Um, he dropped out of school when he was only 15 because he decided to just go to full-time like. Work. Work. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he regretted that. Yeah, and so it was really important for him to instill in his children and other people's children that an education is important in your life. So, and you'll you'll understand more where I'm saying other people's children. Okay, later. But so basically, he gets into the he 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 grows up. He gets into the army. He marries the girl that he'd had the hots for for years, and. Gets a job working as a driver at a base. And he keeps trying to put in to be a paratrooper or to get uh, to back that back into that initial yeah. video or clips that he saw that mm-hmm. got him in, in, in intrigued. Which is why he wanted to be there. And like a lot of people, once they're a driver for some, you know, sergeant or major or whatever on a base, that's a very cushiony job. And you're not doing, you know, anything really intense it's you know it's a pretty easy job you're just right. a, a driver so like usually once people become those they don't try to get out of that but he kept putting in for the paratrooper spot and he actually got really lucky one day because a man came through who was in charge of that and asked him hey would you want to be a paratrooper and he was like because he was trying to think of the best way to like broach the topic with him uh-huh because he was hoping to ask him without being rude, but the guy literally was like, "Hey, have you ever thought about?" Being he brought a it up, huh? Yeah, and he was like, "Actually, I've put in like five requests, and nobody's accepted me into the program." And this guy was like, "Oh, really?" And he's like, "Well, you know, when you get to the spot where you can reapply, you go ahead and and do that." And that guy actually ended up pushing him through. Okay. And he got he went. So he ended up being kind of an instrument in, in getting in the yes, program? He did. And um he was very proud of that when it happened. And after that he decided that he wanted to go for special forces. Special forces, huh? Yeah. And 
he ended up making it into special forces. That's so, hardcore. Yeah, it is. And the the thing is, is like he actually ended up getting hurt um, in Vietnam. He stepped on like by a mine, and okay. it didn't actually injure him physically, but it threw him so hard that oh. there was like a brain separation. Quit hitting your mic, Lily. I know I'm gonna. Everyone's gonna be like ready to kill me. <laughs> there was like I'm all trying to make the side. You know, there was like a. Brain, thing yeah. That well, the 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 proxim uh, the blast can mm-hmm. send you know shock waves. Yeah, so, that that can be very um, damaging. Yes. So he ended up um, being told he woke up in a hospital. They actually didn't know if he'd even wake up because they felt like everything got rattled in there too much. Yeah. And they told him he probably would never walk again. Oh no! And he didn't accept that answer. And no, because he's a warrior. Exactly. You can't tell me I won't walk again. <laughs> so this is what he started doing is he started after the nurses and stuff would leave at night. He would sit there and like flop himself out of the hospital bed onto the hard floor. And he would start wiggling and moving around and trying to like get up and use his body. And he'd get caught and they'd put him in back in bed, you know. And it got to the point where it was like a game at night for the other guys who were there because they'd all like cheer him on, you know, because he'd break out of bed at night and start like working on his thing. And he finally got to where he could stand up uh-huh. all by himself. And it was a lot of work for him. And when they caught him standing up, they decided to put him in. Um, oh, like physical therapy? Yeah, physical therapy. because They realized Dude this guy's determined. He's going to walk. <laughs> we were wrong. Done. So, yeah, he was told he wouldn't walk, and he managed it. He couldn't even speak when he first woke up for a while and everything. So this guy, like, completely turned that around. And despite all of that, he got himself back into shape and everything and was able to complete Hell week and everything else. Complete rehabilitation from everything. Special forces. So there was a group in the military. There's some stuff, you know, we didn't know about before. And something special about this story is he was actually an untold hero in the light of that he did not get the recognition he deserved um, for years. And it was actually someone, a reporter for the local area of where he had lived most of his um, life, found the story about him and how he'd gone and done some great things and that he hadn't gotten a Medal of Honor for it. And the reason that they were saying was because nobody who was actually on the ground was around still to like tell what happened. Although there were people in helicopters who could see from above. Okay. So. Sounds pretty hardcore. Yeah. So this story, like there was somebody um, named Brian O'Connor who he helped save on the day that earned him this medal who came forward and went through the process of reliving the worst day of his life to say, yes, I was on the ground and I did see this and this man deserves the Medal of Honor, not just a Purple Heart or whatever the heck. And, you know, 
Anyway, it's a very touching story. And he, this this man ended up actually getting later a Medal of Honor from the president himself. And he ended up getting asked to go to schools and everything and speak to people. And he, it was very, he was very happy always to do that because he felt like children were very important. And so he would always go and like talk to him about how he dropped out of school and how important an education is. And so are we going to get into more details yeah. about what happened yes. on the ground that yes. merited the Congressional Medal of Honor? Yes, like, I, 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 what's it? I need a backup. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, oh, God. Okay, so basically there was this group which I started to talk about. And it's one of the reasons that it took so long for him to get recognized is because there was a group that was called SOG. And it was a special recon group. Because is what was going SOG. on. SOG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is what was going on during the, ro- the war was there were um, Viet Congs or whatever who were going down into Cambodia. And Cambodia was saying that they weren't helping and that they weren't supporting that, but they were setting up bases over the borderline into Cambodia because, you know, the U.S. forces were not supposed to be going into Cambodia and having warfare, right? Yeah. That was not okay. Like, Cambodia was out of it and didn't want them coming in. Um, So they had this problem because they had these supplies coming up through Cambodia and all, even like bases basically for the Viet Congs that um, were down there and they were just hiding over the border. And then they'd come over into South Vietnam and attack people, right? Okay. So these groups would very secretly cross over the border. I love how you do quotations there. <laughs> Like, it's actually a quote. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Evil. <laughs> Air quote. Secretly. They would secretly go over and they would handle some situations over there, right? So there. So it was a little hush hush operation yeah. in Cambodia. So there was a Ho Chi Minh Trail. It's called the Ho Chi Minh Trail, where there was a lot of stuff that was getting moved back and forth. Okay. And, and these are supplies to the United, to the United States troops. Through Cambodia? No, these are supplies that are being passed to our enemy. Oh. Viet Congs. Okay. In Cambodia. But I thought Cambodia wasn't supposed to be involved or wasn't involved. They weren't, and they weren't. Oh, that's what the, <laughs> that's what the air quotes were for? They weren't, and they weren't. Yeah. Like, they would let us do some things that they weren't supposed to sometimes, but they'd let them do some things that they weren't supposed to. I mean, uh, of course they didn't. Right. Cambodia never did anything. No, nothing. Nothing. Zero. They did not support other communists. They were just Cambodians. They did not support other communists, and they never let the United States go and do anything in Cambodia involving the war between Vietnam and America. Yeah, I'm sure. Officially. Unless they got paid monies, probably. (laughs) I'm not even going to go there. Who knows? Whatever the reasoning is, there was some stuff that happened, right? And they actually realized later that that's probably why it took so long 
and it kept getting pushed aside because they didn't want to talk about where he was when he did what he did. Oh. Okay. Classified. Yes. So. Information not (laughs) privy to. So basically a group of men was sent over into Cambodia because there was a road, this road that they were using with a lot of Russian trucks to bring in supplies. And they wanted them to steal one of those trucks and take it so they could use it for whatever. I don't know. but Probably some recon mission. Something. They wanted them to take one, though. So when you would go during Vietnam, you know, they would watch and listen for helicopters. And if they'd hear helicopters come in, then they'd try to go and hone in on that area because troops were, you know, dropped. Probably. Yeah. And they get... They usually drop down, and then if they get engaged after a certain point, they'll just go pull them. You know, they don't want to, like, risk it. Um, Well, these guys get dropped down on the ground, and some of them accidentally run into a um, patrol, a Viet Cong patrol, and they ended up having to shoot two of them. So another thing, you hear gunfire. Yeah. Then they come, right? So, yeah, that'll draw some attention. Yeah, so they report in that they have been compromised and that they need to be pulled. But there was someone who was in charge of making sure that this mission happened, was there overseeing, had been told that they needed to make sure this happened. So he told them not to get, not to pull them. And there was an argument that happened between some top people Oh, about this because about he kept how saying, they handled pull the situation. Yeah, and he's all no, pull him. And they're hearing over the radio that this guy's like, no, you guys need to continue anyways. We need to get this done. Do the mission. Yep. Complete the task. We must complete mission. So these soldiers who have like some of the people who are with them are actual Cambodians who were sympathizers and who weren't okay with what was going on over there in Vietnam and were like, or came originally and lived there, whatever. They were people who would actually help, you know, um, our military with the war efforts. And they'd go over and help try to be like translators. They'd try to be like, uh, they would, you know, they looked, they were Asian, so they looked like they fit in. They could also speak the language and, and help like keep their cover, right? Okay. So... These guys like walk forward and run into some other soldiers and they try to pretend like they're just Cambodians and it doesn't go over well. And they end up in a gunfight, right? And so they finally decide they need to pull them out, right? Well, when they send in a helicopter to pull them out, at that point, They've already been found, right? And they send a couple helicopters, and one of them gets shot down. Oh, no. So now we have more men on the ground who are injured. And we have other men who are under fire, and some of them are getting hit and taken out as well, right? Oh, wow. So it's turning into a bigger situation. And it's starting to sound like Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Basically, it is. It kind of actually, I didn't think about that, but it basically is because I love that movie. Yeah. So I love war movies. They suck me in, man. I just, <laughs> just love them. So now we have a serious situation here, right? 
And um, Benedictus wasn't sent on this mission. He actually was back at the base. He had just gotten accepted into that the team. Okay. That was he like was now officially that stuff. special mm-hmm. forces guy. Um, because he actually had a friend in the team who was sent on that mission. Oh wow! And um, he was excited to go and be part of the team. And he understood that it was like in a really dangerous spot. And actually like after he got hurt, he ended up having, a you know, his first child, his first daughter. He had two daughters and a son. But after he met his daughter, he realized that he loved his fellow soldiers the same way. He felt the same way about them that he felt about his child when he saw his child. Mm-hmm. And that was why he wanted to reenlist so bad and be there because he had that maternal like, love for his military brethren. Yeah. Which I think is very sweet. And he felt like he could do more. Like he hadn't done enough. Well, you have a lot of people that would re, you know, re-enlist on tours because they wanted to watch out for their, you know, their brothers in arms. Mm-hmm. Like if if you ever looked at the story of the of the of the sniper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was served in Afghanistan. Yeah. Chris, what was his name? I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, I can't remember. Um, Huntsman? Or? Uh, no, one of the most de- decorated I know what you're, snipers. I can't remember yeah. what you're talking um, about. Okay, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember his name right yeah. now. It's like, because you said something. I could have sworn it's Chris, but I might be wrong. Don't hate me or don't judge me. <laughs> but yeah, he re-enlisted at the peril of his own family many times and went back on further tours because he felt this responsibility to protect um Hit the the Marines that were on the ground because he was up oftentimes or most of the time he was sniping yeah. and he was watching their backs from afar and so he felt this Chris obligation. Kyle. Chris Kyle, so I got I the first name right. For you. Thank you, You're thank you, interwebs. <laughs> I know, thank right? you, internet. <laughs> we don't have to wonder anymore. At least I got the first name right. You did, you but did I love that movie. Um, and his death was really tragic because he ended up. He was yeah. spending time with vets to help them deal with PTSD. Yeah, and one of them, and one of them went so ham sad. nuts on him and killed him. But so but sad. Uh, yeah, he keep kept going out and out. And he's like, if I don't protect these soldiers, who, who is? And he yeah. felt this moral obligation as yeah. like a protector of them. Yeah. So well, I mean, even if, talking about Black Hawk Down, so many people went back in there, even after more and more people were down and everything, because yeah. they did not, they were not okay with just they didn't want to leave anyone behind. Yep. Yeah. And you know, that's that's another thing that's very like the camaraderie that's in the military and the caring for each other, I feel like is is something that's very special and a sacred thing. And yeah. it should be respected. Well, and a lot of these people that join the military have similar stories, mm-hmm. lack of education, yeah. lack of structure in their life. Yeah. You they, probably even got they ran, they, Yeah, they ran prison. into problems with yeah. the law or they had a, problems with authority. Yeah. And then they find a home in the military where they can harness and, and put forth their aggression towards something positive. Yeah. And then their life is, is structured. Yeah, exactly. And and not only that, they feel like they have purpose. Yeah. And they do. And it means something. You know, it really does. And I feel like like one thing I've noticed as a a regular thing that I've heard knowing a lot of military people throughout my life and from books I've read and different stories, because I have I've always had a interest in wars and history and warfare and everything. But the fact that um usually when you talk to anyone who's considered a hero, they'll tell you, I'm, that not, a hero. I'm not the hero. Yeah. The people who are dead yeah. or who died are the hero 
or this other guy's the hero. Well, and they right? always like tell them, I, yeah. I was just doing my duty. Yeah. I was just doing my job. And, you know, and there are other people that died and never yeah. got recognized. And they Why? should have gotten it. And yeah. it can even act as a, a place of shame yeah. or hard for them to accept when yeah, they like, get recognized. I'm still alive. And now here I have this medal, and yeah. my brothers died a terrible death that day. And yeah. some of them saved my life. Yeah. You know, so I understand like that's got to be a lot to carry. And, yeah. you know, it's like that's a gift though. And I hope that those people in that situation remember that the people who died for them and with them would want them to live the life that they couldn't right. and would be happy for them to still be here. Absolutely. So I just want to throw that out there for anyone who has a hard time with that. Continuation of the story. <laughs> exactly. So, so he has a friend that was part of the group that's in action right now that's yes. in trouble. Yes. And he, he he was a pilot. He is about to be engaged to help in this so, situation. So is what Tell happened, me more. He didn't actually even get engaged. This is the cool thing about this guy. Is he's over there and he's on his way to the mess hall and he's got his hot sauce in his pocket to throw on his food. <laughs> I love know, hot sauce. The way to make the way to make every meal better is <laughs> throw your hot sauce. And he was going over there, and these guys were coming back wounded. Um, and they said that there were still guys there on the ground. And, you know, they're trying to send out people. So he says, oh, well, like, let me go. Let me go and help. Because they've, the, they've got a helicopter down now, and then they've got another guy. You know, these other guys out, out there. And... The group on the ground, you know, there's always that problem of when the helicopters fly over, you want them to find you, but if you're not careful, you'll also signal to the enemy where you are, right? Right, yeah. So they're like trying to kind of stay hidden, but they finally realized they had to get out in an open space where they could be seen by the helicopters who were coming. Right. So they ended up out like by an anthill type thing to kind of like take cover in, and it wasn't good because they were sitting there like literally taking bullets. And this uh, Brian O'Connor, who survived, um, he wasn't the only one that was saved that day, but there were others who later died in Vietnam in other battles or died later in other wars. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, there just wasn't really, when it got brought up again, there wasn't really people left who had actually were still alive that had been on the ground. Okay. That there were people who had been in the helicopters above the ground who were flying over the area trying to get into a position where they could land. Because, you know, they'd be trying to shoot at the enemy and not get shot down. Right. And still get in and get these guys, right? Yeah. So he ends up jumping on one of the helicopters and just saying, can I come? And all he has on him is a knife. He realizes after they take off, he grabbed a med bag because he found out like there were people out there hurt and one of them was his friend. And he had a knife and hot sauce in his pocket. That was it. A med bag, knife, and hot sauce. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> you put some hot sauce on the edge of that blade <laughs> and you have a fiery weapon. Oh, oh. oh. I think that's one of your best. What? <laughs> I think that's one of your best. Did I just change your life? I've ever told. You get your blade, you put some hot sauce on it, and you've got a fiery weapon. Yeah? <laughs> that's taking the dad joke to another level. Yeah. 
So, I do what I can, you know? <laughs> I got to do something. So he jumps in. I got to interject with some silly. This is a very serious topic. You're explaining it everything. It is. And people died. Like a lot of, you know, people died in this. So he ends up jumping on this helicopter and just comes along, right? And he's like, oh, crap. I only have my knife. All right. And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm still going to help. I'm going to do this. So they go in and there's like two helicopters, one, you know, like kind of back up the other one. And, you know, they have like, Another one on on wait, just in case they need them, you know, because it is yeah. a situation. On standby. Yeah. So one of the guys who ended up on standby, like, he was supposed to be going home soon. And he kind of like, I'm on standby, right? Kind of thing when mm-hmm. it came to the situation. And that was something that he's never gotten over. Yeah. Because the pilot of well, the other helicopter who ended up going in first died. Yeah. No, in fact, um, some of the most gnarly stories and the most PTSD vets from Vietnam you'll ever meet were these helicopter pilots that had to fly in and fly out of these situations. Um, one of my, uh, or a, a person I admire from my uh, life, uh, he ended up being a successful uh, contractor and businessman later, but he was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam, and they saw a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, because yeah. they're in there getting shot at, yep, all, while they're going in hot, and then they're picking up and pulling out all these guys that are nearly dead or dead yep. or you know, I mean, there's yep. it, it'd be a really crazy situation. So I can not not uh, I guess I wouldn't say I would support the guy's behavior, but yeah. I could see how when you're getting close to being done and you're in a situation like that, how it would be easy to shirk a little bit. Yeah. And to be know, scared like, and, and allow fear. And this is the thing is he was actually told that they intended to keep him as the backup because they knew he was leaving soon. Oh. But he, because he didn't say, no, you should just send me as the first one anyway, because he was just like, yeah. He went along with it. Like he's, he wouldn't let that go. Yeah. But like, so it wasn't like he was supposed to be the one. It was the fact that he was just like, yeah, I, I want to be that one because I'm leaving in a couple weeks. Yeah. That he just can't live. He couldn't live with. And okay. it, it always bothered him. And, you know, my heart goes out to him because that's hard, you know. But like, I, I hope that he was able to come to terms with that and let it go at some point. I don't know if he's still alive or not right now. But anyway, because this is you know a long time ago. And, well, a lot of yeah. the Vietnam vets right now are in their seventies. Yeah, they're like in that time, seventies or eighties, or whatever. Yeah, and some of them, depending on when they joined, were not young guys when they went in. Right, right. It's like Benavides had already been in the military for a while. He wasn't like a little spring chicken, right? You know? He'd already gotten up to special forces and done all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so his helicopter starts to go in that he's on, right? And they can't drop down when they first get there. They start getting a whole bunch of heavy fire, right? And so Benavides decides to jump out of the helicopter. Just like jump, like 15 feet or whatever. 
And I guess he used his He just wanted to go hard, hardcore parkour. Well, they didn't have anything, yeah. and they couldn't drop him. But he didn't want to—he wanted to be on the ground helping these guys. He yeah. had his med kit. That's what he wanted to do. So he just jumps out of this helicopter with his knife and his med kit. <laughs> and his hot sauce. His hot sauce. <laughs> Squirt it in their eyes. And, you know, these guys are—some of them are out in a field. The others are, like, kind of hiding in the trees because they had the crash. You yeah, know, helicopter crash, and um, you know they're all trying to like, even just trying to contact with each other. It's like you don't want to give your position, so they're yeah. trying to like wave at each other from like across the field to the trees. Like, hey, was yeah, without you know, getting like, shot at <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they were getting shot at, yeah. you know, and they knew where they were. And they're, I mean, these guys were sitting here. Like at one point, they went, they flew a helicopter by and just dropped more weapons and stuff for them. And they tried to drop water, but it would, like, explode. So they had to, like, find a better way to drop fluids to them so that they could actually drink them. Because this is something that took a long time to, like, get these guys out of there, right? Wow. Um, and, you know, it's like— I feel like they should make a movie out of this. I know. They should. They should. So— So more details. Yeah. So, okay. So he goes ahead and he drops out of— this plane, right? He jumped from the helicopter with his med med bag and he's running through the field and he gets shot like in the leg and he drops and they're just like, oh crap. And then he just like gets back up and he starts to run again. And then like some grenade or something, uh, some fired weapon, whatever hits by him and he gets hit in the head with like shrapnel Wow, (laughs) and drops again. And he gets back up and he ends up running over to these guys. And here he is, like, already he's messed up. Yeah. And he just starts, like, who's hurt? Who needs what? Like, he starts taking care of the Meanwhile, he's got shrapnel in his head and he's been shot in the leg. <laughs> yeah, he's already all he's all He's all adrenaline <laughs> out and he's ready to save his, his comrades, yeah, his compadres. He's, like, asking who's still alive, where everybody is, like what they need to do, you know, he's ready to go. And, um, like, it's crazy what this guy does. So he ends up, like, patching some people up, and, like, uh, Brian O'Connor was ready to just let himself die. He kept fighting, like, passing out because he was so wounded. And I just want to tell you, graphically, these guys really, I mean, like, we're talking some of them, like, arm is half hanging off and stuff. Like, they had been shot at. Yeah. Some of them were dead. Anyway, he was really messed up, and he'd gotten to the point where he was starting to pass out from You say he, you're talking about Brian, Brian, his friend. Yeah, Brian. Well, he Brian was not his friend. Oh, I thought you said Brian Connor was his friend. Yeah, I told you he had a friend, and I'm trying to remember what the guy's name is. I'm actually hoping it'll refresh. But Brian's just another guy that's in the story. Brian is the guy who was able to come forward. Oh, yeah, he's the one that came forward afterward and and, and verified the story. To say, hey, this guy should have the Medal of Honor. Oh, okay. He did amazing things. I was on the ground. Yeah, he witnessed it. And he's the one who made it so it happened. Okay. So, anyway... um, so he's totally messed up, and he was, like, ready to just give up. And, like, he literally had gotten to the point where he'd kind of start to doze off from blood loss. Mm-hmm. And then he'd kind of come back, too, and just kind of, like, try to engage a little bit again. But he was—he said that he had gotten to the point 
where he just was giving up. Yeah, he was ready to He to, was to ready die. to just die. And so he goes in there and he's helping these guys and he's sitting there talking to the helicopters on the radio like about where like they first he went and got the radio from another spot and then he's sitting there like dragging guys who are more exposed who are still alive over into where um it's a little more covered by this ant hill and he's just like okay well we got to get out of here we can't be in this field and he's like we need to go and get by these guys the helicopter guys right well it turns out one of the helicopter guys is the one who was his friend and okay. he's still alive but he's also messed up and he ends up giving like cover fire and everything why these guys are trying to move out of the way. And then they realize this is not working. They're just going to get holes blown in them everywhere, right? So he finally, they figure out like, they're going to just bring in a helicopter with like lots of cover fire. And they, they had some planes come by and they're not supposed to do this actually. They broke rules. They broke protocol. The... Oh, did they send in an airstrike with like napalm or something? Yeah. And they weren't supposed to do that in Cambodia. And the um, the officer who wanted to pull them out when they should have, uh-huh. he ordered that because he was upset that they had even been left. And they're not supposed to do that. And it came out on all, there's a code name they had for it. It came out on all the radios. So even the Kongs could hear it. Um, which was basically anybody who is in an airplane that can come in and do fire cover, come and do it. So um, they might not have known what the code was, but he did it over all air transmission oh. and called in a strike in Cambodia. Oh, wow. So he That's was just pretty like, gnarly. devil be damned, got to save my guys. Yeah. Like, I love that about, you know... Um, about the military, about how much some, how much they're willing to do to save people. Okay. You know? So anyway, they start dropping these napalms and stuff in the forest by it, and they finally get like a helicopter in that's just like cover firing everywhere, and another one's coming down to get them. And Roy is over there picking up these guys. He's like only five six. He's Hispanic, uh, you know, descent. He's not like the tallest fellow. Yeah, And he's over here picking up guys and, like, holding them over his shoulder and stuff and dragging them across fields, like, trying to kill people whenever he gets a chance to, like, do some cover fire. He's, like, going and grabbing weapons off dead bad guys and good guys. He also went to where um, someone was dead to get classified information off of him so that they couldn't get it. And they have a thing of like they try not to leave weapons either, yeah, for them to be able to use, right? And so he was trying to even do that stuff. He was he was crossing, yeah, he crossing was the beyond. T's and dotting the yeah. I's, doing yeah. all and the. He was actually trying to even take their bodies because he didn't want you know to leave their bodies there. So problem: the helicopter gets too close to the tree line, and the rotor hits the tree. No, and it goes down. And it's after he'd gotten all the guys that were on the helicopter that had crashed before on there. 
And when he had been crossing the field with Brian O'Connor and his translator slash, you know, helper guy, he was getting them across over to the plane or the helicopter. It was waiting for him to get the rest of the survivors. And it hit that and it crashed and it went down. Oh, So things just got more messy. So it already had wounded on there, wounded people who were even like close to death and it just crushed. Oh gosh. So then he's getting up and being like, okay, Brian O'Connor and the other guys, like you guys stay here. I'm going to go see who's still alive in the, in the helicopter. Right. And he runs over there and he's pulling people out because it's smoking and he's worried it's going to blow up. Right. And he doesn't want it to blow up with people in it. And that's where the pilot um, died who the ma- the the backup pilot I was yeah. talking about feels bad about. Oh, because the other one. Yeah, okay. and he was dead. Like, wh- when he went to check him, that guy was, he he died when, he got shot and, like, died in the crash. Oh, okay. And, like, yeah, and the, yeah, unfortunately. So then here he is pulling these people off of the plane who had just got put on or on keep the calling it planes. I keep calling it a plane on the helicopter who had just gotten, they're pulling them back off the helicopter. Right. And he's sitting there trying to run them back out to like this little ant hole cover, you know, and like wait for another person to come in. And he's just like, okay, you guys have to get us out of here or we're just not going to make it out. So they end up sending in, some more air fire and blowing up some more things. And then they finally um, feel like they've cleared the area enough that they can pull in another helicopter. And that's when this guy comes, the one who felt bad. Oh, wow. And he goes in and they start giving cover fire, right? And like there's a Viet Cong that starts to come out of the jungle. And one of the guys who's uh, running the guns that are on the helicopter sees him, but he's out of range of his gun turn. And um, Roy notices it too and pulls up a, um, he pulls up a, is it AK-47s they were using then? I can't remember. They were using an AR-15. AR, okay. Well, it was an M-16. So the M-16 was the official weapon of the United States during that time. AK-47 is Oh, so, well, the Viet Congs had the AK-47, so. So he, he, Pulled one off the Kong or whatever, like, and he used that and he shot him and saved this soldier's life who was giving them backup fire. Okay. And then he's sitting there trying to carry people. He's and he's already in he's already in bad forward. shape. Okay, but he's while also he been shot that guy shot more during this. And I'm going to tell you how much hits he takes by the time this is over. It's insane. So he um. And we have to specify who we're talking about here. You said Brian O'Connor. He was the other guy. Brian O'Connor is the guy who was on the ground who was able to tell the story of what happened. Okay. But so he was the one that shot? No, uh, Roy did. Roy, our Roy, hero Roy. Our hero Roy. Is the one that shot. saved him and shot that guy. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure we don't you're right. get I, you're, things you're right. confused so, when you say this guy and that. I'm not to bring up too many of the names too is because I don't want it to get really confusing. Yeah. But anyway, so... He ends up providing the cover fire. He ends up pulling all these people out who were hurt. Then he ends up, he keeps going back in and he goes to get um, the Cambodian who was their like 
translator slash help guy. Uh-huh. He was terrified about being left behind. And he went out to get him and he like put him over his shoulders and was like carrying him. And there was a Viet Cong that they, he didn't like had been crawled up or hadn't gotten shot or somehow had survived. And this guy like comes up out of the bushes and like sticks him with a knife, right? Like a bayonet. Him, who are we talking yeah, about? Roy. He sticks it into Roy. Oh. And like stabs him, right? And so Roy sets down this guy and he has hand-to-hand combat with his little knife and this guy with the bayonet. And then he, he stabs Roy through the side, like really deep. He gets him really deep. And Roy like rustles this guy down to the ground and I didn't want to like get too graphic, but he ends up like killing this guy with the knife. Wow. Um, in hand-to-hand combat. And he's already, like, he's he's taken gunshots in his body. He has shrapnel in his body. And he, he sits there and he fights this guy. And, and now he's been bayoneted. And now he's been bayoneted. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so he, I'll never complain about being sore from working out ever again. I promise. So he tried, he stabbed the guy so deep he tried to take his knife out of the guy's body and he couldn't get it out. Um, oh, wow. So he ended up giving more cover fire. He got that guy onto the ship or the helicopter. And it's really funny because he actually, when they got back to base, he actually had loaded up some people that were the enemy and hadn't realized it because he'd been so worried about getting, not leaving people behind. Oh. <laughs> so they had like, what was it, like two to four bodies that were actually Viet, Viet Congs. Oh, wow. <laughs> Because they had their Cambodian people in there. Yeah. They were Asian too. Yeah. And he actually got confused sometimes as them thinking he was. Right. Because of his his Hispanic descent. Uh-huh. But um, anyway, so he <laughs> he ends up getting on the helicopter after that. And he's sitting there and he's super messed up at this point, right? And he's like trying to stay conscious and he he can't. He ends up passing out. And he was so they finally got another helicopter in there and were able to get him out. Well, yeah, and they they got him on this hell. He got them, helped them get on that helicopter, and they finally got out. Okay, so they're going back, and he passes out from his wounds, but he was really worried about sitting next to his friend who had been um, on that first helicopter that had gone down. Yeah, and he was worried about him because he wasn't doing well, not after he already had been hurt, and then when the second helicopter crashed after he had put him on there, he'd yeah. gotten more messed up. Oh, so gosh. he was sitting there with them, and unfortunately he died on the way back um, on the helicopter. The, the friend of his that he had. Oh, the yeah, one that he initially was excited friend. to come and save. Yeah, yeah. Who was one of the helicopter Who pilots. Who was like, yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, he ended up passing out, and when they got there, they thought he was dead at first. And they also thought that he was one of the Viet Congs. And they actually were, they were nicely taking the bodies of the soldiers that had been killed off the plane, but they just like made a pile of the- Off the helicopter? Yeah, the helicopter. Should we just start calling them hel- heliplanes <laughs> all, for you? <laughs> they're all- They're all on the heliplanes. Yeah. Helicopter plane. So he- Plane copter. He ends up- um, he ends up getting thrown with the bodies of the enemy. And there are some people that go over there and start just throwing them in body bags to just like, you know, bury somewhere. 
you know, like whatever they're going to do. They're, you know, they're not worried about passing them to their families. They're just going to give them a burial. Yeah. And he was conscious enough that he w- was trying to speak and everything, but he couldn't. Oh, gosh. And here they are zipping a body bag up on him. And then one of the guys walked over who had been on the plane or the helicopter that he had saved. And he's like, wait, that's Roy. He's not a Viet Cong because he looked, you know, he he looked like he could have been, um, especially because he was completely drenched in blood. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he has a little of the pull on his eyes, like the Hispanic, like little Latin pull. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you look him up, you could see how it maybe could happen when he's covered with blood and stuff. They might, like, get confused. Okay. So, anyhow, he... He's like, that's Roy. And then they grab him and they're like, oh, okay. And someone decides to do some final vitals on him before they finish zipping up the bag and realizes he's alive. Like literally right before they're about to like finish zipping him in. Oh gosh. Which would have been an awful way to die. Jeez. So they realize he's alive and they rush him and to get like treated. So that day... There's oh, a mosquito oh, flying around okay, me. Wait, this is and I want to kill this mosquito. He, he went to check his vitals. You're not hearing me. I'm being attacked. Oh, I'm sorry. Watching this mosquito <laughs> hover around. You're being attacked. They were attacked. I'm trying to pay attention to the story. I'm getting eaten. You're, you're really you're really experiencing it now. You're being hunted. No, but that's right. So he he actually spit in the guy's face because he couldn't talk and they were gonna zip him up. And he spit like blood and mucus and everything into this guy's face. And that's when he realized he was alive. And like, because he started to check his vitals, but he wasn't like, it looked like he wasn't going to get it. And so he just like, with everything he had, he spit. Wow. So that's like what saved his life. Um, Literally hanging by a thread. Yeah, literally. So he had a total of 37 separate bullet, bayonet, and shrapnel wounds from the six-hour fight with the enemy. Whoa. 37. That's a lot. And they actually used to call him like Scar something because later he ends up he ends up going back and teaching, uh, like doing special forces training. Uh huh. And he okay, he goes back. He's all messed up, and they keep all like again. They're all, dude, you're messed up. You need to retire. And he's like, no. He's like, don't retire me. And he kept like, I you know I'm doing like better than you think. And you know he kept he did that the first time too. He's all like, yeah, I can feel a little bit of something even when he couldn't. You know, because they kept trying to military retire him. Uh huh. Anyway, so he ends up getting to the point where he can do the stuff he needs to to like run with the guys in special forces training that he's training and do like the PT and all that, like their the stuff that they have to do physically in there. Yeah, you don't like usually when those guys. So he rebounds again. He rebounds again. Here he is all messed up. He's like scarred up. He's got shrapnel stuck in his body. He had a whole bunch of surgeries like because he had so much crap going on in his body and he still went in and he became a teacher for special forces and was running around doing this stuff with the guys who were in training and they finally were like, dude, you can't do this anymore. Like we can tell that this really hurts and it's time for you to stop. And so they they encouraged him to get um, discharged uh, medically. So he finally agrees to do that. And this is a cool thing that he did too. Later, 
after the war, they decided to take away all of that medical um, disability that they were giving to all those families from NAM. Yeah. They decided to cut it. And he actually showed up um, to speak to the board for his himself and his fellow veterans about how much these men have sacrificed and how they're or people, you know, they have families and how wrong it would be to take away these medical benefits for his comrades. And they ended up giving it back. Oh. So he like literally went and like fought to give them back the benefits that they'd gotten taken from them. Wow. So he's a cool dude. What a hero, man. Yeah. And he he did not feel like he deserved that medal, of course. And when they gave it to him, they told him people were going to want to talk to him maybe for a few weeks. People wanted to talk to him for a very long time. And Well, I'm sure you're made kind of a spectacle of, you know, when yeah. you get an award of that magnitude. Especially if the president hands it out to you, right? And it was yeah. President Ronald Reagan that did it. And it was on, in 1981. And I wasn't here yet. <laughs> I was. (laughs) (laughs) Barely. (laughs) I was like three. (laughs) Hence the barely. Something like that. Anyway, all of a sudden I'm like, I shouldn't talk about it. (laughs) Well, what an amazing story of uh, selflessness and heroism. Heroism. Wow, I can't even say it. Heroism. (laughs) Heroism. 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 What a hero. He goes in and saves so many people and... Uh, has no regard for himself and ends yeah. up pulling through after getting so many wounds. Well, it was sweet of Brian O'Connor. It sure made fight. it sure made uh, you know yeah. It sure made Tom Hanks in uh, Forrest Gump <laughs> not look quite as cool. Yeah, and you, like, Forrest like Gump you said, only got bit in the butt. You know, he got shot in the butt. He didn't get thirty-seven different yeah wounds. Holy crap! And he was just running around like I don't even know how he. But it must have been completely just. He obviously wasn't even thinking of himself at all. No, at all. Like no, he was zero. only he was only thinking He's about just thinking about the mission. The guys out the guys and the mission because yeah. you were saying he was doing tasks. Well, he that, just did that because it was something they were supposed to do. Part of their training. all he cared about was getting out his guys. Yeah, and but you know, as a special forces, he knew that if they ended up with classified information, the enemy, it could cost more guys' lives. Sure, that was why he he was worried about getting that documentation, and he was worried about getting you know weapons out of there and you know anyway um he ended up dying in the 90s um and uh, what was his final age does it say how old was when um, he died let's i'm just curious how long of a life he lived because you said he was in the military for a yeah, while before i actually have a, a picture i can show you other people you'll have to just look him up but um, there's a picture of him when he got his award. And he felt like it was his job to keep speaking and stuff because he felt like that's what he could do. Yeah. You know? Since he can't be actively and, yeah, in the military, he, saying, he can teach. The hero. And you know what he did for the friend that had died that was a pilot? He went to um, that friend's family's home, and yeah. that friend was black. Um, and, you know, he... It was a different time back then. No, I, under, no, I understand. Yeah. yeah. So he went and he actually visited his parents and he brought and gave them um, 
his, what was it? His purple heart or whatever it is. Oh. Or whatever he'd gotten before, before they gave him this. But he, he did this before he got this award. Okay. So the award that he did get initially that what, that other people felt like wasn't good he enough. He gave it to the family of his he friend who died. He gave it to the family of his friend who died and he thanked them for their sacrifice. And it meant everything to that family. Oh, that I'm sure it meant a ton that. to them. Yeah. And um, I thought that was really sweet that he went out of his way to go there. And he told them that um, he was his, their son was a hero. Wow. Because he also, like, he was doing his own, his own gunfighting on the ground, too. You know, and unfortunately, we only have so much time in these podcasts. <laughs> and so I couldn't get it. We're just going to chirp your ears off for hours. I don't have 12 hours worth of time to give you. <laughs> or even seven. But um, I, I love hearing stories of people that aren't as well known mm-hmm. who did amazing things. Um, because there are so many incredible moments where people just did incredible, mm-hmm. almost impossible things. Yeah. And their story deserves to be told yeah. and to live on. Yeah. And, you know, like... Vietnam, because it was so unpopular, there were a lot of people that didn't get a lot of recognition until later when people started to realize that it wasn't good that they weren't. And, you know, there was some neglect that had happened and everything. And I feel like it's one of the reasons that people realize now, um, a lot of people realize it's more important to have respect for our military. And that it's been pushed more because of how badly the men were treated who came back from Vietnam. Right. And you know, it's it's bad enough when you've already gone through so much to go home and have people treat you like you're a monster. Yeah. And you've lost people and you were fighting you were fighting against communism yeah. for your country and you gave up everything and you yeah, and you, you watched people there. die yeah. and you come back to just be And there were people who lost spit you know, upon. lots of people who lost limbs and all kinds of things. Oh yeah. That was a big thing over there and like there there was some nasty fighting that happened over there. And, um, you know, anyway, I just felt like it would be nice to talk about a hero from a non-popular war who ended up doing great things and even went on to, like, encourage education in children, you know, fought for— Got to live an admirable life. Yeah, he did. And, you know, he felt like—he felt like he went to his uncle's grave and told him that he had done right to their family name. Wow. And, um, anyway— He's a great man, and there's a lot of great men, and there's a lot of great men with stories we'll never know. Yeah, especially where everybody died, but you know, people still tried everything they could to save yeah. other people in the group or whatever. Or you know, there's just people who never got recognized for what they did or got very little recognition. And so, I just want to give a holla out there to all of you who. Um, have any ties with the military and any ties and who, with the and laws, who selflessly and who serve, have, who have served, and you know whether or not you hit under fire or not, it was still sacrifice. Yeah. So. Well, fantastic! Thank you for sharing. Uh, we usually have we our topics have varied quite a bit. <laughs> I like to keep you on your taste. Today's a little more serious, a little more historical. But don't you think? Like he was like Rambo material. Dude, he was legit Rambo. <laughs> Rambo ain't got nothing on him. This is real life, yeah, not Hollywood. Exactly. What an amazing person. But I think it would have been amazing to have met this man. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you'd almost want to hear the story, but you wouldn't want to have him tell it to you because I'm sure a lot of these guys don't tell their stories because they're so, 
uh, traumatizing. Yeah. And they want to bury all their emotions deep. I remember, um, and I was in high school, I had a job where I worked at a movie theater and the movie We Were Soldiers came out um, while I worked there. Mm-hmm. And it was a movie about Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. Really powerful uh, movie with Mel yeah. Gibson. Anyway, um, I know we're wrapping up, but yeah. it was crazy to watch, to be there at the theater and the yeah. matinee. And that, and they would have these guys going that were Vietnam vets. Oh, that's wonderful. But a lot of times I'd see them leaving in the middle of the theater. They just and sometimes they were like yeah. trying to hide that they were crying. Yeah. Because they thought they were over it and they wanted to revisit yeah. the movie as, to pay homage to. Yeah. And then. But it was but, too much. But it, it, it took them back. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it just brought up too much trauma. Yeah. But uh, thanks again. Yeah. Well, we wait, love I you all. I wanted to give a holler out. Oh, holler out. That I read just in case any of you want to and to find out all the cool details. It's very well written and, and, and very engaging. Is called Legend and it's by Eric Blem. Eric and, Blem, legend. Yes. And the story of Roy. If it wasn't for the reporter who kept pushing to get this guy recognized and Brian O'Connor for making his statement, um, then, you know, this story wouldn't have come out. And there's other people in the story that I didn't name names of who are also valuable. And People who, there was more information. There were some other stories. I gave you like an example of the chopper, like other chopper guy who was sad about, you know, how one of the other chopper guys died. Yeah. You know, but. The one on reserve that was ready to go home. So my point is, is that it would be wonderful if you guys felt like you wanted to know more about the story. You could hear more about some of these wonderful people who died or um, survived uh, fighting in this um in, in this event. In the war. And in that war. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. This might have been a little longer of a of an episode, but, you know, I wanted to- But hey, you're still listening in. if you heard this part, so- <laughs> So thanks. Smoke you! <laughs> Farewell. Bye-bye. <laughs>